A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi everyone, I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Unit spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Last week, Roger Rogerson, one of the most notorious figures in Australian true crime history, and yes, he did also used to be a cop, he passed away. And Dad and I spent last week talking about, a little bit about at least, Roger Rogerson's uh, crawl into infamy. But this week, Dad's going to keep exploring with us Roger Rogerson as a figure. Dad, last week's episode, I feel like we really only scratched the surface of who Roger Rogerson was. Now, a lot of people have been getting in touch. Uh, I got some friends in the States, actually, who got in touch and said, uh, oh, did you hear Roger Rogerson died? It's, it's something of a damning indictment of Rogerson that people, even as far as America, know who he was. Yes, well... As listeners are aware, I went to the Redfern Police Academy. Yeah. The building is still there. Mm-hmm. But I have walked in the, the grounds to sort of get the vibe yeah. from what I experienced. Um, some may say mild trauma um, going to that academy. Well, they say going, it, back to your old, going back to your old high school is usually a pretty unpleasant experience. I can't imagine how, how much worse it is well if if that's now, a... <laughs> yeah but it's now a, a, a temple mm. a religious temple i think it's Taoist. yes okay a Taoist okay. temple which is very beautiful okay. mm. and i've stood in i was going to say the hallowed grounds i won't say that well, i guess they're kind of hallowed you know yeah but i've stood where i actually um passed out in terms of not as in became unconscious but the <laughs> passing out parade yeah And the same parade that Roger Rogerson and his family, his two daughters, his wife, stood and received the accolades of the state uh, for that, for the, you know, extreme act of bravery in apprehending um, some armed offenders. And I think it was, um, it would not have been uh, sort of, 
lost on the crowd the day he received his mm-hmm. award that he actually didn't kill them. I think uh, the, the guys that he... They were fortunate that he arrested them and just didn't kill them as he did in in other cases. Some known, some clearly not known. And to stand in a place with such... One could almost say a dark history and then see it as a Taoist temple is a wonderful contradiction and I think there's a sense of irony there. It was like a cleansing of the space as well, a little bit, you know, taking yes. it from a one, you know, energy-wise. It's kind of, yeah, seems like a yeah. nice thing to do. And then, so I was standing by myself. Yeah. Occasionally I go there just to reflect. Um, and then I walked over to the gymnasium mm-hmm. and I stood there. I couldn't believe that very place is frozen in time. That place where I was in the locker room, Mm -hmm. as is very well documented and detailed in your first book. So I'm going to give a version of that story, but for people that don't have, or would like to sort of drill in a bit deeper, go Mm -hmm. and read the book. If this ever became a, um, well, let's just hypothesize, Mm -hmm. say became a TV series, uh, or a movie, this particular scene that I'm going to talk about, which directly relates to Roger Rogerson, um, this would be highly prominent because it was such an extraordinary event. It's an event, Paul, that sometimes when something happens a long time ago and it seems mm-hmm. so unbelievable, you mm-hmm. really have to question, did it really happen? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure everyone out there has had those those rare and unforgettable moments in time. It might be experience something, hearing something, seeing something, being in the the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the murder of Warren Land Franchi who was a heroin dealer and back in the 80s we used to call them stick-up merchants. How's that for a phrase? In other words, armed robbery. And, I mean, the stick-up is obvious. Stick your hands up, which I don't know whether that happens anymore, but it certainly used to happen sort of during the 1920s and 30s in midtown America. I mean, the, the whole of New South Wales, in fact, the whole of Australia was buzzing with the news of Warren Land Franchi being shot and I remember I was in the um, locker room and no one really knew what had happened it was very sort of secretive uh, even though they today say yes there were sort of something like 15 police at the scene but what you're saying is that you were at the academy um, when Lance Franchi was shot yeah. Well, I was actually yeah. doing secondary training. Oh, that's when you go. You so you've gone out for a year and then come back to the mm. academy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you spent a year as a cop, basically, like a trainee cop. You've been paired up with different people. You've seen some shit at this point. You kind of stagger back to the academy, having had a dose of the real world, and uh, you're there to kind of close out your your training, basically. Mm. Gotcha. And okay. I overheard a conversation with two or three um, cadets. Yep. 
um, probationary constables, and they were talking um, in hushed tones. Mm. I mean, for God's sake, if you're going to talk in hushed tones about something relatively controversial, the last place on earth you'd think to talk about something like that if you didn't possibly expect other people in the near vicinity to sort of at least least peak their interest, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to talk about the death of Warren Lanfranchi, which is what the conversation was about. Turns out that one of the guys, one of the um, probationary constables, um, had either A, been at the scene of the shooting or knew someone who was there because the information was so scary. And Mm. I was actually... In the only thing separating me from these three, well, police officers, was um, a line of lockers, and I was being incredibly quiet because I realised no one else was around, and I didn't want to get caught because you just don't know how deep these things go. Yeah, and I became very, um, I won't say scared, but certainly my senses were heightened, and then I thought, I'm listening, and then I realised that I was actually. Between, I was in this sort of little area that was next to the showers. And I thought, shit, if these guys come into the showers, they're going to see me. They won't have heard me. So I hid um, under the under the benches. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, the three of them walked past and went to the showers. And I, I may made good my escape, but I heard enough information to know that it was heavy. It was a heavy scene and it was a scene that the media, there was a frenzy talking mm. about the execution of Warren Lanfranchi. And to this day, very few people fully understand the reasons why Warren Lanfranchi was shot. Now, the reason, the, the, the sort of straw that broke Rogerson's back, because they were all interconnected. Um, you know, yeah. heroin dealers were always, there was... They were skimming money off the top that had to go to the detectives. The detectives, um, primarily in the squads and at Darlinghurst, you know, they were part of the operation. They were sort of at the top of the triangle, yeah. and that's how they uh, that's how they operated. They, they these detectives back then uh, they, they were making large sums of tax free money, and the story goes Warren Lanfranchi and two other offenders mm-hmm. were on their way going traveling north across the Sydney Harbour Bridge towards North Sydney to do an armed robbery i believe it was on a friday afternoon <clears throat> friday afternoons were always when the banks had most cash because people were going to get paid most people back then got paid weekly um and they got paid in cash you'd go into the bank that's just how it was back then gotcha so if you're going to do a, a job, a bank job, you're going to go when there's when it's bulging with 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 cash. You want to wait till it's full so that you have. Full. When you steal stuff, you get the maximum. Get the max. Yep. yep. This is in the day when the tellers had no protection. Armed robbers would go into a bank, simply jump the counter, hold a mm-hmm. sawn-off shoddy, uh, which is simply a shotgun, which is a big, big weapon, mighty powerful. They'd put it in a vice. They'd they with a hacksaw cut most of the barrel off. The barrels, because they're, they're generally mm. the pump-action shotguns had two barrels, and if you got hit with one of those yeah. in at close range, it would definitely blow large bits of your body 
oh, just into sort of it would vaporize you. You just gotcha. turn into a, a bloody miasma of bone and blood. Oh boy! Because uh, I've been to those when I was in forensics. I've been to plenty of those where people have been shot point blank, and it's fucking terrible. So you've got this sort of this incredible fear. They're on the way to do the stick up. Warren Lanfranchi was in the back of the vehicle. He was lying down because as as the listeners who've listened to this podcast for for years will know that generally speaking, three in a car is a number that will draw the attention of police. Two in a car, not so bad. Okay. So they go, there's an off-ramp at the northern end of the Harbour Ridge that takes you up this sort of fairly undulating, fairly quick sort of a hill, takes you up towards North Sydney Police Station and a very vigilant highway patrol officer on a motorcycle saw the car, something wasn't quite right, pulls them over. Now, these guys are just about to do an armed robbery. Warren Lanfranchi is in the back lying down with a sawn-off twenty-two calibre rifle. Okay? Imagine that. Imagine being in that car. You look in your rear vision mirror, you see a highway patrol cyclist with the lights, his lights, mm-hmm. his blue lights sort of spinning around, and you have to be really, really calm. The problem is that the cyclist pulls up behind the car, which means he has to walk past, past. the yep. back seat. Yep, okay. And inadvertently, and as one would imagine, what one would think would happen did happen. As he's approaching the car, he would have been approaching more than likely on the driver's side because mm-hmm. it's the driver he wants to talk to. That's the dangerous side, so he would park his bike in such a way that it would give him a bit of a corridor of safety yeah as he's approaching the driver he looks down and he sees warren lanfranchi lying on the back seat holding a 22 caliber rifle warren lanfranchi instinctively gets up points the 22 sawn off rifle at the highway patrol officer and fires gun discharges Mm mm-hmm Car fucks off with three on board. Highway patrol guy runs back to his motorbike, gets on to police radio, VKG. Meanwhile, this car's gone. Roger Rogerson, he knew, the word got back to Rogerson, that Warren Lanfranchi had done this. And as far as Rogerson was concerned, this was... um, shall we say, um, an opportunity, an excuse perhaps, to, oh, take, to, to take him out. Yep. Warren Lanfranchi was then lured to a location in Chippendale. Mm-hmm. Um, to quote Roger Rogerson, there were up to 15 police there. I find that uh, I just, I don't even know what to say. It could have been a situation where this is a, a hypothesis that you will probably never have heard and will never hear again, that Roger Rogerson had the whole crew there to just reaffirm his status in terms of top dog. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to actually show police, including junior police, what, what he, how he operates. And Warren Lanfranchi was uh, executed um, Roger Rogerson said it was self-defence, which means 
Warren and Franchi would have to have either A, gone to the meeting with a gun, or B, um, a, a gun would have been planted yeah, on okay. Lanfranchi. Okay. Now, Sally Ann Huckstep, who had a fascinating life, she was very, very smart, came from a very good family in the eastern suburbs. Um, her stepmother, which is not an uncommon story, had been, quite frankly, um, violent and vicious, uh, assaulted her regularly. Sally Ann had a stepsister. Of course, the stepmother, that was um, her, her natural sister, and she preferred her, her blood relative over Sally. And, you know, she'd mm. take... Sally did modelling for some very famous um, department stores. She was attractive. As I said, she was very, very smart. She was, she was really clever. Um, but because of her domestic situation, she ended up working at a very famous uh, disco, the Disco Go-Go, which was a very famous um, sort of nightclub in um, the Whiskey Go-Go, sorry, Disco God. And that was a notorious hangout for criminals and gangsters. And she started working there and she got involved in uh, drugs, the drug scene, she meets Warren Lanfranchi and then six months after they'd been living together, uh, Warren Lanfranchi was executed. Now, as an aside to this story, listeners, I was um, at the city morgue at Glebe and uh, a member of staff said to me, would I like to see Warren Lanfranchi's body? Um, and as I've said before, all bodies at the morgue were simply uh, laid out on these stainless steel trolleys, and yep. they're all naked. Every one of them. They don't. Gotcha. They don't have sheets and blankets. That's 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 only in the movies. And one of the, uh, I walked up to Warren Lanfranchi's body. I'm, uh, I imagine I'm one of the few people uh, that actually got to see what I'm about to explain. And. What you're about to hear, I have mentioned it before, but I think it's mainly at the live shows. Mm-hmm. And that is that uh, Warren Lanfranchi, who had some incredibly, let's say, accurately placed bullet holes in his head and upper chest. What do you mean um, accurately? What do you well, mean it, was, it, it, it was as though um, he just stood there and someone had marked out a target and just popped, popped the bullets into him precisely. An execution. Basically. Oh, it was just you know, it was there were no sort of, you know, shots in the legs, the arms. It was all close. It was all. I. I it probably came. I wasn't there, but it probably came as a real shock to Warren Lanfranchi that okay. moment where you would have seen the gun pointed at you, not knowing that Roger Rogerson. You wouldn't believe for a minute that you're actually going to get shot. You'd think maybe this is just a, a warning to say, listen, you know, we're not going to accept you trying to kill police it's just it's yeah. not on planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But the thing that was extraordinary about that day, and this is a scene etched in my mind uh, until I die, is that a detective, um, and this is sort of a 99.99% balance of probabilities, had got Warren Land Francis' hand and wrapped it around his own penis to give the impression that he was playing with himself. Now, that sort of thing, A, showed extreme um, sort of disdain and disgust for Land Francis, but to me... Mm-hmm. It's an extraordinary thing to do, and the detective that did that um, must have been a particularly well. I, I don't even know how to describe that type of person. It's sort of the ultimate uh, thing to do to someone. It says to me confidence. It says it speaks to me a, a confidence that you're not going to get caught, right? Yeah. Um, if you've if you've been operating with impunity for a long time. That's probably the kind of thing you feel like you could get away with. So the the idea there is that if you put the hand around the um the, the penis and then rigor mortis sets in, then it goes, for lack of a better term, hard, and as a result, the corpse has a stiffy. Mm. It's incredible. Yep. To see that was, you know, I wondered, listeners and Paul, if I had have seen that today, um. I'm wondering whether the temptation would have been to to take a photograph because it's so unbelievable. Wait, it's, you or just someone? No, just me. Take a you photo. You, I don't you know. I just I think okay. phones are very well. There's there's the case a few months ago of the the people that took film of the school teacher being bitten in two by a great white, and there are all what? these different. Yeah, that happened in Sydney. Um, oh, we can God. chat about it on Thursday if you like. But um, it's all about. Filming, having access. They know that police, even today, take photographs. They know paramedics are are, are taking film in the back of ambulances. I mean, it's a real, you know, it's a whole whole different topic. But, yeah, things have changed a lot. But the thing is, Paul, Sally Ann Huckstep was the girlfriend of Warren Lanfranchi. Now, on the 6th of February, 1986... Uh, at around about 11 p.m., Sally gets a phone call from a very, very notorious drug dealer by the name of Warren Richards. Now, he's an associate of Arthur Eddie Smith and Roger Rogerson. Okay? So you can see there's a very strong connection. Sally gets the call. She tells her flatmate, and it's, it's in Edgecliff, which is 
I could almost throw a tennis ball to her apartment from where we live. And she says she'll be back in five to ten minutes. The next morning in Centennial Park, at about quarter to nine, a jogger is running through the park and he sees a body in a pond lying face down. Runs to the rangers uh, and they get a little boat and they... um, the place was called Busby's Pond, and they they row out and they grab this this uh, body and they they pull the body back into the shore, drag the body face down up onto this little beach, and the detectives are called in, and they roll the body over, and one of the detectives says, "That's Huckstep." Uh. Okay, now Sally Ann Huckstep was a thorn in the side of Roger Rogerson because what had happened five years earlier because Sally Ann Huckstep ultimately ended up on the street. So she was Mm. a journalist, highly articulate, got involved in the drug scene, but she also was a prostitute. And there was a very famous, there were lots of famous places in Darlinghurst that I could take. Next time you're in Sydney, we can go for a drive, we can go for a walk. Up near St Vincent's Hospital, there were some notorious locations. One of them was called The Wall, and these were infamous. And the prostitutes that worked to these areas did so with the consent and protection of the detectives. Detectives from Darlinghurst Police Station and also some of the squads. Huckstep was one of these girls. And what, what she did, and she signed her own death warrant, she went on 60 Minutes and she basically said... And that's a very high-profile show, I think you'll agree. She said, yeah. Roger Rogerson, one of the most highly decorated police officers, shot dead her lover, Warren Lanfranchi, in cold blood. And then, within hours of her saying that, she went into hiding. She then goes into Police Internal Affairs, where Christine, your mum, worked. Mm-hmm. Same building. She goes into Internal Affairs... And she gives Internal Affairs a complete rundown every single cent she'd ever paid police. She she must have kept an incredible diary for 10 years. She gave the names of every single police officer she'd paid money to. Wow. And, you know, she understood after that interview at Internal Affairs, yeah, that... The bravery, I swear to God. Unbelievable. That's and so it, fucking brave. Because I mean, if you know... You always hope that people are keeping notes. You know, you always hope that, that, that corrupt people will get taken down by somebody who was just taking the right photos, writing down the right license plates, doing the... You know, that's, that's incredible. Mm. And that's of course, incredible. can you imagine being one of numerous detectives... Mm. In, in New South Wales, you know, some of them may have retired. Some of them may, may have moved to the country. Some of them mm-hmm. may have gone back to uniform and, and be, you know, running a lovely country fire station up in the, the Hunter Valley at, you know, a wine area. Mm-hmm. You know, you, everything's going sweet. You've, you've moved on. You've just, you've, you, you don't look over your shoulder. You've, you've moved away from that, that rotten, corrupt, seedy, low life existence you led as a corrupt detective in New South Wales and 
you're thinking that everything's cool and all of a sudden Sally Ann Huckstep comes along and just goes, um, you know, tells internal affairs. And of course, the problem with internal affairs, as Christine well knows, and probably everyone knows, is that it, they also were not squeaky clean because they were recruiting from the ranks of detectives. And Christine has told me stories. So what you're saying that people people in internal affairs would also be mate, trust me, these things. it's happened to me before. Whew. Oh yes, it happened to me. I had to go to internal affairs once. Remember that infamous story about my um. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. About my buddy. Yeah, yeah. Who, honestly, yeah. Go, go, guys, go and read. Go and read uh, Electric Blue. It's yeah. It's fucked. It's it's heavy. So yeah, I I then um you know went to internal affairs. I won't go on about it because it's in the book, um, mm. but it's a, it's a great story about you think people that you can really trust because going to internal affairs, I imagine in any police jurisdiction on this planet would be a terrifying time. Yeah. Particularly if you've got a buddy, a friend, a colleague, a mate that you socialise with as well and you don't really ever know what your mate's going to say. Mm. Is he going to fold? Is he going to sort of maintain the line? And the detectives that are interviewing police, can you imagine the type of detective, can you imagine the skill and the professionalism and the sheer cunning that you would require as an interviewing detective working in internal affairs to interview for example a detective sergeant from the homicide squad yeah okay yeah. it's the melding of the minds it's a battle mm. but then again you go in you're going to be interviewed for a certain thing crime you witnessed you 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 were involved in police corruption and all of a sudden you're sitting across a detective that you've worked with that you've 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 gone out with you've socialized with you've partied with you know the, the you know their wife their you know their kids mm. you know their parents you've been to their christmas parties and that person is interviewing you i mean i'm not saying that it was always crooked but i experienced some things in internal affairs i remember i was interviewed got back to the station and everyone at the station already knew what i'd said yeah. I'm not kidding. Like they just pick up the phone and it was heavy. So you can only imagine what it, what happened when this Sally Ann Huckstep comes in. I'm hi, I'm absolutely hypothesizing. Listeners, leave it up to your own imagination. Uh this woman comes in who's already notorious. I imagine if she had have walked or when she walked through the the hallowed grounds of police headquarters, mm. which was an entire city building about 20 stories high full of police including the commissioner i mean there would have been deathly silence because everyone would have known and she would have got into that lift and she would have pressed a certain floor and everyone would know that that's internal affairs up she goes second she does that second she does that it's over right yeah and it's over yeah and then she's the word gets out um internal affairs um, one could imagine they then told certain people that, mm -hmm. wow, she's just told us so much and all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the station sergeant 
working up at the Hunter Valley on a, near the vineyards, about to retire, big smile on his face, all of a sudden, oh shit, mm-hmm. it's all going to come back and it's going to crucify me. So they deal with it. And as Christine and I had a discussion about an hour ago, um, going to be careful what I say now, but they say that uh, they received uh, recordings from inside the jail that a certain heavy crim, um, Nettie Smith, famous, notorious, apparently he'd somehow or other admitted to killing Sally Ann Huckstep. Right. Uh, that's not the story I've heard. I've heard other things. That what have you? What have you heard? Well, a few years ago, I heard, but I've had, and I had it corroborated from two different sources that, in fact, it was um, a police officer that killed Sally Ann Huckstep, but not one that was working in New South Wales. That's what I heard. Holy so, shit! Yeah. Holy shit! So that's heavy. Holy shit. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> but anyway, so that's fascinating. Yeah. And on that note, Paul, I feel as though we should wrap this up. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Every time we have one of these Roger Rogerson episodes, I am um, a little worried. But as you said, you've said over the years, Dad, you've said many times, uh, you'll you'll start telling a Rogerson story or you'll finish telling one and you'll say, but he's very much still still very much alive. Hmm. And that'll be the caveat with which we sort of tuck ourselves in and stop going off on tangents. There's still lots of, as you said, Rogerson wasn't the only corrupt detective involved in these things. He was part of a network. He was part of a system. And like you said, a lot of these people have uh, retired or passed mm. on. And yep. they have, you know, that's always the fear that you think you pull up a heist, you get away with something, you hurt somebody, nobody notices, you move on with your life. Years pass. And then if some fucking podcasters, one of whom is a ex-cop, kind of start, you know, giving a bit of lip on a podcast and suddenly it becomes common knowledge that XYZ happened. I guess the fact that Rogerson's dead wouldn't be so much protection for us because the fact is it's not like, you know, the, it's still dangerous to talk openly about some of these things is what I'm saying. Is that a fair assessment? Definitely fair. Um, but also to be considered mm. is the time also yeah. has a tendency to sometimes sort of confuse and muddle things. You right, know, It's okay. very, very difficult. And I, sure. I sort of, sometimes when I'm telling these stories, I look back and I think, does that kind of gel? Um, you know how you, you try and remember things from a long, long time ago? And sometimes it becomes yeah. an amalgam of, of different facts blending in with how you were feeling and thoughts mm. and things other people have said and what you've read and what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've dreamt. Who knows? I mean, these are very... To sort of untangle these stories sometimes. Yeah. But there's always a kernel uh, of, of hardcore truth. Um, and that's why sometimes the devil's in the detail. Yeah, and, and also there's a thing called the Mandela effect, which is... Um Back in the early 2000s, a woman got online because she she was admitting online that she was... Have I talked about this with you before, Dad? No. She was embarrassed that she... Um, she basically went, look, I thought Nelson Mandela died in prison. And somehow she convinced herself of this fact. And what happened was thousands of people replied, but he did die in prison. Mm. And she's like, no, no, no. Somehow, 
there are some cultural things that people can latch onto. What happens is you basically file uh, similar bits of information away in certain parts of your head. And then when your brain goes to reach into that filing cabinet, sometimes it, it, it grabs the file next to the, right, you know what I mean? It grabs, it grabs an adjacent file by mistake, yes. basically. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what happens. Sometimes, uh, especially with dad, you've been, we've been doing this show for thousands of hours over almost six years. It is very likely that sometimes you are going to reach back and uh, grab the, the file that is that's one right. file over. And mm. that's, Look, that's part of, frankly, the charm of this show is that sometimes it's going to be a scooch unreliable. I don't think anyone's going to hold that against you. But mm. that, that happens. So, mm. yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah. It's, been, um, <laughs> it's, it's been great chatting, Paul, as usual. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing. We have so much coming up uh, later this week, by the way. We've got some fascinating stuff to talk about. Plus, uh, I sat down with the cast of The Dry 2. Uh, with Force of Nature, the dry two, I sat down with the entire cast, Eric Banner, Robert Connolly, uh, Deborah Lee Finesse, all of them to talk about uh, this amazing uh, crime series. Uh, a couple of years back when the dry came out, I talked with uh, Eric and um, Jane Harper, the author of the dry, to talk about that film on a loose unit, on a spin-off episode. So we're going to be having a spin-off episode about the dry two coming up as well. And we've got loose ends and we've got more true crime. So you are in for an absolutely packed February, guys. Uh, so it's a great time to be a listener of uh, Loose Units. So make sure you head across, tell your friends about the show, go and grab the books, grab Loose Units and Electric Blue. They are, the, by the way, if you want them to get them cheap or get them for friends, Father's Day is coming up. Uh, I think it's Father's Day coming up. Oh, you're up. so funny, Paul. But no, my birthday's coming up. Oh, shit, Dad's birthday's coming up. You know what the ultimate present for Dad is? Buying Electric Blue for your dad. Uh, why not? So yeah, Booktopia is the best place to grab that. But look, thank you so much for listening to this Roger Rogerson episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. We hope you're having a great week and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.